just comes back to the fact that, fine, as an individual company, you don't test on animals, but your parent company does. And so that's not good enough for us. Hi, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Vegan Women Collective podcast. I'm your host, Rachel LaMarche, and I'm one of the co-founders of the Vegan Women Collective, an organization that highlights and supports the activism and entrepreneurship of vegan women through panels, workshops, and this hopefully interesting and inspiring podcast. For this episode, I made my way to the outer suburbs of Sydney to meet Julie Mathers, the mastermind behind award-winning online retailer Flora & Fauna. Julie was driven by her passion for a low-waste and vegan lifestyle when she decided to launch the website a little over four years ago. We did record the podcast in the space in which they will be opening their upcoming store, uh, which we do discuss in the interview, but I have to admit there is some echo in the background for which I do apologize. If you want to keep up with the events that we hold and other things we are working on, please follow us on Instagram at Vegan Women Collective. Let's start the show. Welcome, Julie, to the podcast. Thank you. Lovely to be here. First things first, tell me a little bit about your journey into veganism. Oh, okay. So I have been vegetarian for since the age of 16, and I'm now 42. So a very long time. And I've always loved animals. I've always cared about animals. And um, I grew up in the north of England, which is very much a meat and two veg kind of capital. A little bit like Australia. A little bit like Australia, exactly. And parents have, you know, every meal that we were fed was basically meat. And just growing up, I kind of knew at a young age that that really wasn't for me. And, and so I sort of bucked the trend. And especially because at the age of 16, I would have been, it was early 90s. So yeah, very early doors. Yeah. Anyway, so I went vegetarian, vegetarian. I was vegetarian for years. And then I learned more, basically. And I learned that dairy isn't great at all. And in fact, vegetarian isn't enough. And you really need to go the extra, the extra mile. And so I became vegan it's actually about four years ago now. It's really, as I started Flora and Fauna, both went hand in hand. Oh, really? Yeah. It was really an education process. And me learning and going, but you've got to think about your shoes, but you've got to think about what you wear, and you've got to think about what you put on your skin. And there's so many different elements and facets as well. And that's what prompted plenty of personal decisions at the same time. So did the idea to start Flora and Fauna kind of came from you deciding to go vegan? No, they sort of came hand in hand, actually. Um, One sort of led the other, led the other back again. I wanted to, there was a couple of things of reasons why I set Flora and Fauna up. I wanted to set up a business that was responsible and ethical. And I had worked in retail for 25 years for lots of businesses that aren't necessarily responsible and ethical. And I wanted to create one that was, and I wanted to make a difference And I just thought there's no reason why you can't have a business that grows and is a responsible citizen, if you like, in its own right. And hence, I started Foreign Fauna. At the same time, I was very passionate about animals and animal testing and various other things. And the the thing, I suppose, the thing that really prompted it was I was looking for lipstick to buy. I was actually 
in the UK in a physical shop trying to buy a lipstick and I was looking at them and I'm, I was thinking, I do not know what is inside this lipstick. It's really not transparent at all and I have no idea how it has been made. And I actually walked out of the shop and didn't buy anything but it gave me an idea. And I just went, right, well, I'm going to create a place where we are completely transparent and we only sell products that are cruelty-free. And at the same point as that, I was going, well, if they're cruelty-free, they need to be vegan. And then my personal values also changed as well. So that's kind of how it, how it all came together, personally and professionally. No, that's fantastic. So were you always like an entrepreneur? Were you always interested in starting your own business? Yeah, yeah. I always... So, I'd never been an entrepreneur until now and I'd always worked for other companies, which I actually think that experience has been invaluable because I wouldn't have been able to do this without having that experience. But I always wanted to do my own thing. <laughs> I've always been a really frustrated entrepreneur and I imagine that anyone who I've ever worked with or for has been frustrated with me. <laughs> because, In what way? Oh, I'm quite opinionated <laughs> and, um, and I'll say it as it is. Which I think is actually really important because I think anyone in any business should have an opinion. And I like autonomy and cracking on and getting stuff done. So, yeah, so I've, I've always wanted to do things. And I've, and I've, over the years, come up with a few ideas of things here and there. But nothing really went to, the, well, the stage that Flora and Fauna even started at. Yeah. They were always ideas. So when you say at the stage that it started at, can you walk me through the development of the business? Yeah, sure. So I came up with a concept in July 2014. And in my true style, I was like, right, let's get on and do this. So I developed the brand, registered the business, did all of that sort of stuff you have to do. And then one of the first people I contacted actually was a friend of mine who I think she still works for them for Trilogy Skincare in New Zealand. And I contacted her and I said, hey, look, this is an idea and this is what I'm doing. And I'd love to stop Trilogy. And she helped make that happen. And from there on, then I just contacted a load of other brands and bought the stock, which at the time when you start, you don't really need that much capital. Um, so I bought the stock. And then at the same time, I was building the website. And then in November of that year, we launched. And we launched with, I think it was 500 products and 30 brands. And, um, and we, we, I think we put a Facebook post up to family and friends and went, woohoo, we've launched. <laughs> Anyone want to buy anything? And, um, and a few people did. And, um, and the cool moment was when somebody bought who wasn't family or friends. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, a proper customer. And, uh, and that was such a great moment because you, you start out and you, you, you are doing like literally a few orders a day. And we had something when we started, which was called the white glove treatment, where all orders were packed. We all wore white gloves. And the orders were packed with white gloves. It was ridiculous and it could not last. But I had this vision and, um, and we put handwritten notes in every order from the start. And we still do that. Yep. Um, and, um, and really we just kind of built the business from there and we dropped all the parcels off at the local post office and, and we did that in reality for the first two years. Okay. And for the first two years it was just myself and my husband. And Based out of your home, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so we, we're lucky... Um, or we've made your choices, whichever way you want to look at it. We live in the bush and we, there's a previous business on our property. So we have a warehouse on the property as well. So we were based out of that, in fact, until quite recently. When did you move to this current warehouse where we're at now? September 2018. So only four months ago. So you ran the business from your backyard, basically, <laughs> yes. for like three and a half years. Yeah. 
basically. That's crazy. We run it from there for ages. And the, the warehouse was there. It was great for us because we didn't have to rent anywhere. It, it was a, a good enough size. There were offices upstairs. We had to do various things. Like last year, we bought a shipping container. So we moved the office into that so that we could use the upstairs for more warehousing space. And then we had to move the office into our house because we needed the shipping container for more warehousing space. And all the time, we were actually looking for somewhere else to move to. And we were just fortunate to eventually find this place. We, we could not have done a Christmas out of where we were. No way. It's absolutely... This Christmas was huge for us. And the amount of stock we've got coming and going. And even the fact that now we have a huge Australia Post truck turning up. And it needs a proper turning circle, which we didn't have in our place. So yeah, the, the move was much, much needed. At the very beginning, were you working full time yes. and working on the business? Absolutely. So the, for the first two years, both of us were working full time. Tom actually went down to part time after about mm, a year and a few months. And we'd hired, I think two, two people, but again, part time, both are still with us which is wonderful, Jess and Jules. <laughs> and, um, and then it got to the point where we knew we had to make a call, basically. And it was either we'd really put ourselves all into it or we didn't, because it's very hard to do both. But of course, it's very hard to do it at the start when you still need to pay the rent or the mortgage. You have to get yourself to that place. And, and we got ourselves to the point where we went, okay, we can do this. And we're going to throw caution to the wind and, and go for it. And best decision we ever made. And actually, that's when we've really seen the business scale, when we've both committed to it full time. And then we've been able to grow it, employ lots more people and so on and so forth. Originally, when you started Flora and Fauna, and still now yep. you had Rosie as a mascot. <laughs> Rosie the pig. Rosie. Um, what's the story behind Rosie? So, little Rosie came into our lives in October 2015, I think. So she's now three and a half years old, something like that. We're lucky we live on acreage, so we have space for animals. And we were all, and I've also got four cats as well. So we've just had strays that have just randomly turned up and we've taken them in. They know you love them. They know, they know where to come. And there's no, nothing particularly exciting about the Rosie story other than we were talking about getting an animal and Tom, Tom's always wanted a pig. So. Is it a, similar to the Esther story where you thought she was a tiny pig and she ended up being like this similar gigantic yeah. animal? Similarish, not quite as big as Esther. But certainly not many. So there's, there's some really good learnings from our story, I think, um, in the fact that we said, quite naively, actually, cool, let's go and get a pig. And so we went and got this little, and she, she was being touted as a mini pig, which is very unfortunate. Now, we're lucky. We have You have the space. Room. Yeah, we've got room for her. But she is a good 130 kilos now. She is not a small animal, and we love her to bits. But I have heard so many people who have bought mini pigs, and I know where Pigs Farm Sanctuary, who we work with, they get called weekly about people going, I've bought a mini pig, but they live in the suburbs, and the pig's grown, and it's too big, and they want to give them up. And in fact, we were called the other week as well saying, can you take another pig? And it's like, if we weren't working here full time, sure, we totally would. But actually introducing a pig to Rosie is a pretty big job in itself. Oh, really? Yeah, because they're very hierarchical animals and they're super smart. She is incredibly smart. So she's constantly figuring out where she sits on the hierarchy. So you have to keep, I suppose, 
stimulating her brain. But if they feel they're above everyone else in the hierarchy, that's when they can get quite aggressive. Okay. So you've got to be, there's so much to owning a pig. It breaks my heart because you, while you say that, like I don't have much relationship with pigs, but obviously as a vegan, I would never yeah. hurt them. Yeah. Um, but that's part of what everyone is saying is that pigs are so smart and they're being subjected to yeah. some of the worst treatment out there where they can't even turn or they can't It's even... Um, so just hearing how smart she is and it yeah. just breaks my heart. It's horrific what we do to animals. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I get it all the time and it, it's very tiring where people will go, what are you going to do with her? It's like, well, she's a pet. Similarly to your dog. Yeah. Same thing. And, and you know, and people make jokes about bacon and stuff and it's like, it's not a joke though. That's it's, horrifying. It's really, yeah, it's really horrible. And, you know, it's been quite interesting as well because the journey for us, um, particularly with Rosie, has meant that you are not as close to some people as you once were. Because as you get older, you, I suppose, move apart as people because your ethics and values don't align. And it's really important to me as a, as a human that I'm friends with people and spend time with people where we do align in terms of ethics and values well i mean plus you must be incredibly busy already you exactly <laughs> you, you're a, a incredibly successful business owners you're winning awards all the time yeah and i have none of these things and even oh. i find it very difficult to hang out with people where i have to justify Yeah. my behaviors yeah so for you i understand why you would be just like even more selective because yeah. why you yeah. know that's it you've got i just go you've got limited time in general you know i'm there going crikey i'm 42 where did the last 42 years go i really don't know they just went in the blink of an eye and um and time is precious so spend it with those people that you want to and or in our case, with those animals. Yeah. <laughs> with the to. animals that you love, and then yeah. you rescue more if you have more time. Oh, that's it, that's yeah. it. Oh no, I want to own a sanctuary at some point. That's and yeah. then you'll just be able to retire with heaps of animals. And your That upcoming child. Upcoming little baby. A vegan child. Vegan child. How are you handling being pregnant? Are you meeting a lot of backlash from people? Because you, yeah. be yeah. you would be being vegan, and you Absolutely. want to raise your kid vegan. Yeah. A little bit. It's interesting. The people who do it are the people closest to you. I suppose other people might think it, but they're probably not brave enough to say it. So some people have said a few things. One of them was, oh, you're clearly not going to stay vegan now then, because that's unhealthy. That's crazy. Yeah, I know. And this is just, and it, it's, it's an education piece. This is where people just don't understand, or they read silly articles. Like there's the article about the vegan couple... And this is just the Daily Mail sensationalizing things. And they take that and go, great, I'm now armed with something. So there's a little bit of backlash. But for those people giving it, I just ignore it, quite frankly. I, well, I give them my opinion and then I ignore it. And, um, and they're well aware of that. Would you say that becoming pregnant has made you aware of the need for different type of products that maybe you weren't carrying already or were you already quite baby friendly at Flora yeah. and Fauna? We, were, we had baby products. Has our baby range increased? Yep. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. You're so aligned with your business yeah. and it grows organically. Then yeah. you going through that yeah. change makes you aware of what's missing or what's needed. Correct. Correct. That's absolutely it. It's a really interesting business because I do all the buying 
and product is something that's really close to me. So yeah, I've been out there going, okay, well, what do we need? So something that we've brought on recently is reusable cloth nappies. Oh, great. Um, and I'm really excited about using them. They've gone really well for us as a general rule, but I've become more educated as well in terms of the amount of waste that is generated from nappies and from disposable ones. And in reality, and I say this being completely ignorant and not having had a child before, but, you know, when you use a reusable cloth nappy, I mean, it's just a bit of poo. It's like, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Well, I mean, we pick up dogs and we, cats exactly. every day. We do with big pig poo. That's seriously big poo. <laughs> and we have four cats, so we're all, we're all good with it. But it's, there are some choices that you can make like those where it's just so much more beneficial for the environment, but also for your pocket as well. You know, you buy yourself a bunch of reusable nappies and that's it, you're covered through. Yeah, and then if you toddler. end up having another kid. You've got them. They're, they're there. They, that's right. You've already got them. Yeah, yeah. There are so many benefits to doing it. And I think people are becoming so conscious now about their waste and where they put it. And it's, you know, when you go to put things in the bin, you go, that's going straight to landfill. Uh, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You're just kind of like, you get this little shrug. I was just like, oh. Yeah. Is there, a, you know, is there a different option? Can I put that somewhere differently? Can I recycle it? Can I compost it? So on and so forth. So yeah, so we've definitely made some different choices in terms of um, growing certain ranges and, and the baby one is, is definitely. Has, that's exponentially within the last six months just it gone. Has. Yeah, we've actually got little baby, um, baby grows as well now. And those are gorgeous too because they're organic cotton and they are they're basically the designs on them come from the indigenous tribes up in the Kakadu oh fantastic the money goes back to them so it's very much a community generated business and they're beautiful as well so there are some cool things that you can get which are just a little bit different to the norm but also aren't crazy expensive too that's the other thing that I always keep in mind at Flora and Fauna our mission is to provide better choices to everyone. So you can't just have everything super expensive. Got to make it affordable. I was going to ask, as you said, you do all of the buying. Yes. How do you go about getting new brands on board? Do you get people approaching you wanting to have new products that you might have not considered? Or do you go about kind of like, okay, well, now we're going to go and find razors and yeah. all of the tools that yeah. come with yeah. skincare? Or how does that kind of, how yeah. does your growth go? We do both. So we're quite strategic in terms of, okay, there is a particular category that we want to grow. So let's go and, and find the best brands for us. And um, so the cloth nappies is an example. It actually took me a year to decide what to buy for those because I wanted to, because th there's a lot of following Facebook groups and things like that to see, well, which ones are the good ones? Which yeah, which ones are great? And, and you know, and we asked a selection of our customers as well and said, okay, well, which ones would you use? So there are some areas where we go, great, that's a strategic move and we're, we're going to grow that range. And then there are, equally, we get lots and lots and lots of people approaching us every week with products and brands. And we look at them all and we see if there's anything that, that really stands out to us. Um, but we're, we're very picky, so obviously they have to be vegan, they have to be cruelty-free. The parent company has to be cruelty-free, which is... Can be a huge challenge. It's a huge challenge because people change ownership and, and we derange anyone that isn't. So we deranged Pucker and Schmitz, uh, not that recently, six months or so ago when they changed hands, because 
they got bought by Unilever. And we just went, that's okay, but that just doesn't meet our ethics now. So we just make the call that if I vaguely think it's grey, it's like, no. (laughs) Yeah, because also your customer... People are just so aware of what's going on nowadays and they're just so filled with information that you just wouldn't want to put yourself in a situation where a customer is like, why are you selling this? Correct. You're saying this on your website. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And yeah, so we have to be sort of all over it in terms of, okay, where they're made, who owns them and even investors and and all of that sort of stuff. So even down to razor blades, we stock one type of razor blades. Uh, it's a family-owned company, blah, 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 blah. There's another one that we could stock, but I think they're owned by P&G. And again, it just comes back to the fact that, fine, as an individual company, you don't test on animals, but your parent company does. And so that's not good enough for us. You know, other businesses going, hey, this is all cruelty-free, but you go, no, but they sell in China. <laughs> So it's not. Um, How do you keep on top of all of that? We have really close relationships with suppliers. Oh, good. Yeah, like really close relationship. For us, it's our brands and our suppliers that are our partners. And, and that's how we like to work with them. So actually, we really don't like working with brands where they go, here's a product, just sell it. It's like, mm, that doesn't really work for us because we want to grow our businesses together work with flora and fauna and then we can grow together and, and develop this partnership so so for us it's very much about being being close to them so we, we we know what's happening how easy was it for you to expand and keep working yeah. on the business instead of staying on top of the <laughs> orders and that must it's, was it hard yeah i mean it, it's all tough i mean i think what's great is it it's not just me so there's tom as well and i think that's been huge for us because tom we, we've effectively almost split the business, if you like. So Tom looks after the finance and the operations. Brilliant. <laughs> and I look after buying, marketing, website strategy, that side of stuff. And we really complement each other, which is good. And we've managed to stay married, which is even better. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it just means that he can worry about his side and I can worry about my side. And of course, we talk and, and I will give him grief, no doubt, all the time. <laughs> but um, it really helps when you've got someone in in the journey with you. So there's that, plus we have a wonderful team that we have grown, but we've grown steadily. So we, we're not funded or backed or we don't have any investment. It's 100% by me actually. So you have to grow your team slowly and at a rate where you can afford to. Yeah, organically. Exactly, organically, yeah. And every now and then you have to step outside of the business and go, okay, which direction are we going in? And just having a little bit of a break every now and then just allows you to get your head out of the weeds and think about it what are the the plans the future plans because you're the mastermind behind all of this how are you perceiving your growth now that obviously the website is going to keep growing do you get a lot of international orders we do we do we do actually yes so we will keep on growing certainly within australia it's great now that we've got this new warehouse because we've got space to grow and we can actually get volume out the door, which is wonderful. Um, we're just about to open up a shop, so that should open up in the next couple of months, which is exciting because we get lots of people asking for that. And we have lots of people coming and picking up orders, and particularly now that we're in a bit of more of a central location than where we were before. I mean, we're 10 minutes from Parramatta, so this is a great opportunity for us to, to have a shop here. But, but actually, I want to make it an experience store so that we're going to have um, refill stations, 
and with particularly things like cleaning products and shampoo and things like that. Yeah, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's, and it's to give people, because we've got five and a half thousand products, so we're not going to be able to fit them in here, but we want to give people a taste of flora and fauna. Plus, if you do want something, we can get it off the shelf because the shop's basically right in front of the warehouse. Yeah, for everyone, <laughs> there's a big glass window that looks into the warehouse. So you can see all of the workers, the, the, the little working elves packing the orders. And so that is going to keep going, yeah. obviously. You'll be able to see people yeah. packing at the back while someone operates the store. Yes, yes. That's great. Really important. So when we, when we rented this place, we actually got this shop built specifically for us. And I actually said to him, and I think he thought I was nuts, but I said to him, I said, can we put a big glass window in there? And he said, why do you want that? And I said, because we're a really transparent company and I want our customers to be able to see our team and see what we're doing. And I equally want our team to be able to see our customers. So it's kind of a, a two-way thing so that we can be as transparent as we can be. With um, So it's quite cool. So I quite, quite it's, like yeah, it. Yeah, it's really beautiful. I can't wait to see how yeah, it how you Yeah, well, yeah, and how you transform it because right now it's just kind of like a white box. It is. It's a white with a, box. With a big window. <laughs> yeah, and with a lot of chocolate in it which we're keeping it cool. Yeah. <laughs> Australian summer makes a lot of sense. Yes, um, it does. After that, would you want to grow and have more stores? A lot of people have gone the other way where they have yeah. a store and then they develop their online presence. Yeah. And then in your case, you're super powerful online. And so you're deciding to go brick and mortar. Why mm. did that come about for you? Yeah. So I've always worked for multi-channel retailers where we have got a mixture of online and brick and mortar. And typically the, the stores rule the roost. And online is always a poor cousin. <laughs> I've lived it and breathed it. Fair enough. <laughs> And, um, and so for me, and I actually think some of the most successful retailers are those that have done it the reverse. And they've started online first because you learn so much about your customer. And then you can really tailor a store to, to complement that. And I think you have to look about it, and I'm going to get on my retailing bandwagon here, but I think you can look at it in a couple of ways. Because the challenge with traditional retailers is they look at stores and they, they go, oh, each one has got to make money in its own right. And so you're looking at individual little profit centers which is cool, but it makes it very challenging for stores to reflect the brand necessarily well, or it makes it hard for the whole business to glue together. Whereas I see stores as an extension to the business in terms of a marketing tool. Definitely. And so for me, I would never look at a store as a P&L in its own right. I look at it as basically a marketing cost. Yeah, an expansion yeah. of what your brand wants to portray. And Correct. That's right. That's that right. Pe because people don't need to leave their house really anymore, sadly mm. enough. But like, I mean, yeah. to be truthful. And so for them to go that extra mile, and there, there has to be a reason That's right. more and more. For you to see it more as a, as a marketing cost and an expansion of the brand makes so much sense. Yeah. It's, so, so yes, yeah, so after this one, it's, it's great because it's, it's a bit of a test for us really but if it works yeah there's no reason why we wouldn't go and do other stores do other stores melbourne we're coming would you <laughs> say that melbourne is where you get your most of your orders or uh melbourne is our biggest market yeah that's what it's I, the biggest state i would uh, well as yeah. okay as a state yeah yeah it's, it is it's a bigger state very closely followed by new south wales but yeah melbourne i mean as we all know there are so many people passionate about veganism in melbourne yeah um, and, well, and low waste and yeah <laughs> yeah so so it's well, i used to live in melbourne actually i love it because you decided you decided to start the business when you were looking at veganism within products 
mm. um, and within those values. And I feel like veganism, as you say, has been growing, but the lowest movement took a little bit more time. The lowest is finally kind yeah. of aligning with yeah. the veganism part. Yes. Would you say that you've perceived that in your business as well? Yeah, hugely. Plastic Free July is a really great indicator of how quickly this movement has, has shifted and, and also how awareness has shifted. And Plastic Free July for us this year was a similar size to our Christmas. Oh, wow. Yeah, which we were taken aback by, really. And what I just, what I think is just wonderful is that awareness piece. And it is people going, oh, maybe, maybe plastic straws aren't great. And I will refuse a plastic straw. And the, the keep cup and the reusable coffee cup is the obvious one. Definitely. And, you know, I'd love to get, for it to get to a point where it's almost regarded as like, Ugh, to go in with an aspirin disposable coffee cup. Um, and you just take, you just take your own in. We went to the tennis on the weekend and just the amount of waste that's generated from that and he and I'm just and I can't help but see it I see it everywhere oh yeah and it's and we take along I take along my little straws <laughs> I take them everywhere and um and put them in but I'm just going there is so much work to be done I think anyone just walk around a Westfield shopping center walk around anywhere and you'll see so much disposable waste and we we are still at the start of this journey and there is so much, so much more to be done. But we, we, but we see that shifting and changing, which is great. And so if you can give me an insight. Yes. What else in regards to, like you've said, there's the store, but is there anything else that you see? Like what are the big trends that you foresee within the movement? I think what's great, what's really great, is that it's only going to get bigger, but on both fronts. So low waste plus veganism. And you have people, what I think is great is you have celebrities coming out. Now, we know that Miley Cyrus has been vegan for ages and so that's no news. But then you get people like, apparently, Chris Pratt. Trying Veganuary, yeah. yeah. Same Trying with, um, what's his name? Gordon Ramsay, yes. chef. And Jamie Oliver and Beyonce and Lewis Hamilton, who I actually think became vegan for his sport but what's cool now is that he's actually come out and gone no 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 i love animals and and you just go good on you and these are people with multiple million followers on instagram so whether you love or loathe them as individuals they're doing a great thing for shifting awareness because people are suddenly now it, it, it it's not this niche it's something that people every day live quite normally you know what we just had um some one of our one of our brands in and she was just saying to me that she's doing veganary veganary and so she's she's just started being vegan and she just goes it's brilliant and she said i have just um started cooking my own sort of different types of food she goes i made a lasagna last night and i made it with a cashew cheese which i made myself and um she goes i'm loving it and i feel so much healthier and then she said and in the last seven days, she's lost three kilos. Oh, crazy. <laughs> I, was like, I wish that still worked I know. for me. <laughs> I know. I'm like going, yeah, that never happened to me. <laughs> Same. Yeah. But it's, you just go, but she's raving on about it as well. And I'm like, fantastic. Because you are another voice talking about these, you know. And she's, the if she's one of your suppliers, she probably already has something that has to do with those ethics and 
in whatever like i mean obviously i have no idea what the brand is for her to be at least able yeah to try that mode of ethics (laughs) my personal take on it is that as the movement grows and as people get smarter about it and that veganism and low waste kind of align themselves there will be an even bigger request from vegans for the people that own those businesses to be vegans themselves because i have a really hard time buying from businesses like buying a vegan product fully vegan with a label and thinking well this person only cares about the money the vegan money and i cannot reconcile probably because also i'm I'm a bit of a minimalist. I don't buy much stuff. Mm. Um, I buy a lot from here, though. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't buy much stuff. And so I just can't justify that there's, yeah. I, I mean, unless I really need to. But I think that as the movement grows, there will be those additional points of accountability. Absolutely. And we, we get it a little bit, actually, with not much, but we do get a few customers going, are the owners of the business vegan? Yeah. And I think that's really good because we can proudly stand there and go, yep, yes, we are. Both vegans. Both vegans and we have a little piglet. (laughs) And a third vegan on the way. How yourself, Julie, not necessarily as a woman entrepreneur, but just as a person person that owns this business with your partner, how do you plan to manage it? Yeah, to manage the maybe the the little bit of absence that you might take or or distance. So we've got a plan. We got a plan. So, um, what's great is that Tom is amazing, and so we view everything as a team. And so, even though I'm carrying this little monkey, um, when it comes to parenthood, it's the two of us in it together. So we, and the, the great thing is that there's two of us really running the show here. So we can shift and change it a little bit. So you know, I might come and do how we're really thinking about it is I'll come and be in here in the morning and then Tom will be in here in the afternoon or vice versa. Yeah. And we will do the switch over, switch over, switch of the, of the baby Bjorn yeah. or not that I endorse, I don't know anything about kids, but you know, yeah. of the, the, the little bub, the, the baby holder thing. Yeah. Just like, boop, now yeah. it's your turn. You yeah. Catch relay race. Yeah. So that, that's how we're going to approach it. So even now I'm only in here two to three days a week, Okay. but I have an awesome team and we have someone who's going to start as an e-commerce manager in February to really take a lot of my workload as well. So we're sort of getting prepped for it that way so that if I'm not here, which I, I imagine I won't be here for at least a couple of weeks, um, then then the team's not going to crumble crumble without me. But we also have a remote team as well. So we've actually got three of our team who work completely remotely. Okay. Yeah, and that works really well. So I, I'm a bit of a believer of it's great to have a central point, but equally if you're not here, it doesn't mean to say you're offline. So when I'm not here with Bob, I'll still be working furiously. Yeah. <laughs> What's the best advice that you've been given? And then... Yeah. What advice would you give? So the best advice that I have been given is be yourself. Be you. Unashamedly you. And that's really helped me in my career. I, I got that quite early on, actually. And it made me take the right choices or make the right choices when it came to roles and jobs. If I didn't feel something was comfortable, I wouldn't do it just because of the money of the money or because, oh, it's the right decision. You know, on paper, it's the right decision to make. It's like, no, no, no. I'm a very 
casual person in general. So I'm quite opinionated, but I'm also very casual in terms of what I wear and what I look like and how I conduct myself and all yeah, that sort of stuff. And your behavior with people. And yeah, yeah. And, and so for me, going and working in a stuffy environment would never work because I know myself really well and I'd be like, oh, you'll hate it, Julie. One of my first jobs that I ever did, actually, they said to me, this was like the first, first job, they said to me, um, oh, you'll, you'll want to cut your hair. I mean, this is, bear in mind, this is like 99, 98, 99. So uh, women were also not necessarily regarded still brilliantly in the workplace. You'll want to cut your hair so that you have it in a nice bob, which is kind of how we like all women to look. Oh, my God. And I went, no. (laughs) (laughs) This won't work. Yeah, this is not going to work at all. And it was, so I think it's, you know, part of it is don't conform just because just just because that's being asked of you be you be a constructive individual be a respectful individual all that sort of stuff but equally be you because you will you will perform at your best and actually that's what any business wants of you they want you to be your best they want you to have an opinion you know um, I've had senior roles in Coles and Woolies and in both of those I was incredibly opinionated particularly Woolies and I kind of go well that's what you're paying me for that's you're not paying me to sit there and say yes so I think it's very very important to be you to to have your opinion and to to get that out there I think as an individual keep that one close to you yeah just make sure you are being true to yourself what business advice would you give to someone that's either looking to start their own business or just really interested in that process so the first bit so there's probably three three bits of advice first bit know your difference so I see lots and lots of businesses popping up all the time and then also popping off all the time and here today gone tomorrow so I think you need to know who you are as a business and what your difference is to your competitors because you've probably got competitors unless you found a niche that no one has ever worked on which I'm not sure there are many of those why are you different and it could be oh it's price or it could be um, packaging or it could be you know you're doing something for the community it could be many many things but I think and this is a question I always ask new brands actually when they approach us I go well why are you different particularly skincare ones (laughs) because everyone's launching skincare and there's so many and and they're all very very samey so the question I always ask is what's your difference and most of the time there really isn't much of one and it's a incredibly hard industry to get into in general so I think know who you are first number one number two monitor your cash flow and when you start out you're probably pretty small and you you don't have many expenses you know you might buy some ingredients or stock or whatever it is that you're doing and you don't have many outgoings but as you grow you do and suddenly I mean our outgoings are enormous now just the Aussie post bill (laughs) it's huge my god yeah it must be crazy it is crazy and so you've got to be all over your cash flow because literally one month of not being able to pay your bills it can literally destroy you and I think there was um there's a business press juices recently they just I think they just expanded at such a rate that they ended up not being able to pay their their team and so and their landlords and so the landlords lock them out of their stores and there's all this sort of stuff google it <laughs> yeah but um horror stories for horror young stories. entrepreneurs or, or yeah. small businesses small businesses not focused on the cash so be really really ruthlessly focused on your cash and we look at it every every single day because it's that important to us as a business and then the third thing which is kind of linked a little bit to the last one it's 
focus on your team and getting the right people on at the right time. And again, for the first two years, it was just Tom and myself and we did everything. And so we upskilled ourselves to, to enough of a degree where we could be dangerous probably. Um, but things like I taught myself Photoshop because in reality we couldn't pay a graphic designer every week to do banners for us. So I just did them. Yeah, you have to be resourceful. You've got to be really resourceful. And you've got to do your own Facebook stuff and your own Google stuff and pack your own orders and, and do all of that stuff. And in, we, we did that for the first two years until we got to the point where we went, okay, we think we can afford a graphic designer now, which is pretty much, other than the warehouse, the first person we brought on. And then it was going forth from there. We've only just brought on someone to help us with social media after four years. So don't overcapitalize in terms of who you're bringing on board, but just bring on the right people at the right time. And how were you able to make those decisions? Were you, was it by being so aware of your cash flow, being just like, we're not there yet. We don't have enough co money coming in, so we can't do it. And then when you yeah. can afford it, you go through your business model and you're just like, well, this is the one where I'm spending the most time. Correct. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. You just go. I'm wasting heaps of time doing this when we could actually hire someone that can do to this. Do it. And now we have the money yeah. to actually do it. Yeah. And this, exactly. That's exactly right. And you also get to the point where you go also, you need skills. So graphic designer is always going to be a thousand times better than anything I do. And we had to get ourselves to the point where we needed people who came in who had those brilliant skills. Um, Jackie, who's now helping with the social media, she has a whole fresh take on things. She's just wonderful. <laughs> Good. Because it's been so samey for me. It's just been my tone of voice for forever. And it's great because she's bringing a different skill set to the party. So there's a, there's, a, there's a mixture and there's a point where you come where you go, we can't afford not to. Well, it's a little bit like coming to this warehouse. We were in a very luxurious position of the warehouse was on our property, so we didn't pay rent. But we couldn't grow until we moved to here. We couldn't grow anymore until we moved to here. So sometimes you have to make that investment and, and be able to afford it, but make that investment to be able to grow again. You know, we've launched our own brand, Green and Kind, this year. And that's probably something that, that I'm... I love doing right now because we're developing a brand of our own and and that's a zero waste brand so Amazing. it's all yeah it's just i mean it's vegan just by default but it's also really focused on minimal packaging and stuff like that so we're and we're just doing things differently so with conject sponges that we've got that we brought in we've just gone well we don't need packaging like we're giving customers a problem by giving them packaging so let's just put the sponge it is as it is instead of putting this either plastic wrap around it, which is just annoying, or even a box. It's just something else for people to get rid of. So they're all packaging free. We've got some gorgeous cleansing bars. We've got produce bags. We've got all sorts of stuff that's, that's coming in. And, um, and that's been really, really exciting time for me. There's still plenty of, plenty of road left on doing that one. Flora and Fauna is, is, a, is, is my baby. It's a full-time thing, and it's, it's all I do. Quite frankly, it's all I do all day, every day. And we work silly hours. We work 100-plus hours a week. Crazy. Every week, every Saturday, every Sunday. And you have to, I feel, you have to live those values because you are just an extension of each other. And, yeah. you, and your business is so incredibly successful. I mean, that's my yeah. perception of it. Yeah, that it's, oh, it's, it's growing really quickly and and it's one of the nicest things for me is 
when we get customer feedback. So we get lots of customer feedback, which is really lovely. And one lady said the other day, thank you so much for existing. She said, because um, this year I've turned vegetarian. And I'm like, it's great, because this is a start. Yep. And um, I'm minimizing the waste that I use. And your business is, and she goes, and I'm really conscious that this isn't just food. I'm like, hallelujah. And she goes, and your business has really helped me make those changes. And I'm like, that's amazing. We have, we're not, and I've never wanted us to just be a shop selling stuff. You're changing the world. Yeah, in our little way. But I want, and I want, that's what I wanted. I wanted us to be there and make a, I wanted us to make a difference. And, and when you get emails like that, you go, cool, that's, that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah. And that's, and that's awesome. And that was my conversation with Julie Matters from Flora and Fauna. She was such a breath of fresh air, and I honestly can't wait to see the store that they're going to open a bit later this year. Also, and this is a bit of a different thing than what I usually do, but I recently discovered a store here in Melbourne that many of you probably know already, uh, but it's just completely blown my mind, and that's Terra Madre in Northgate. They have tons of food in bulk uh, and organic products and produce, and it's actually really affordable. Um, and it's just completely changed my life, so I thought that I would spread the good word. If you like this episode, please make sure to subscribe to our show, rate us, and tell all of your vegan friends. For any comments or suggestions, please feel free to email us at hello at veganwomencollective.com. The Vegan Women Collective podcast is recorded, mixed, and produced by myself, Rachel LaMarche. I thank you again for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Cheers! Cheers!